So now we are live, which is great. It's exciting. Well, hey, I want to thank everybody for being here. My name is Matt Jones. Um, I, my wife and I have been coming for about four years, three and a half, four years to New Community Church. And uh, it's a blessing to be able to be here. We have four wonderful children. We love every one of them very, very much. Some more than others on most days, like Sunday mornings. It's, uh, I have learned to not talk and no, no yelling at people to get them out the door because it does not work. But um, to just sit there, I mean, I, I've been told, I haven't learned it yet, I think is the, the best way to look at that. But um, I'm excited to be here and to walk you through what I have found to be one of the most uh, in-depth, most expository uh, dissections of the case of the cross that I've ever come across in my life um, and have loved being a part of the studies that I've seen in this and also led this before. Um, but uh, as Alex has talked to, because we, Alex is a preparer, if you don't know this, and as he's putting food in his mouth, sorry, but, um, but we've been talking about this for about four to five months, and he said, remember, try to make it practical, right? What can you apply to your life? What can you take away? Um, don't just dive deep into theology, which there's nothing wrong with that, but we don't have a lot of time for in-depth, in-depth, in-depth like crazy and no application. And so I'm not saying that's at all what we do at any other time, but I know that I can do it. I can, I can just go way too deep and all of you just sit here. And that's not what we want. This is meant to be interactive and to talk and discuss. Toward the end, we'll be able to get in groups and talk just a little bit and uh, for you to hopefully get to know more people as well. But What's important about this for me is that it really has opened my eyes to not just doing this once a year and reflecting on the cross, because that's easy to do. Hallmark does it really well. They put it on the front of their cards. They put it on shirts. They put it everywhere. They'll put a picture of a cross. But the most important thing for us is what happened, not just leading up to it, not just on it, but what happened after as well. And we'll, we'll scratch a little bit of that too as we go on. But before we get started, I just want to talk, there's two very important things that I do want to, to discuss, and we've talked about one of those as well. They're on the screen. Snacks are very important, and I need you to speak, right? I don't want you to just sit here. If you're just going to sit here and hear me, I will keep going. And she'll tell you, my wife will tell you, he will not stop talking. So I just want you to know. And she has a little signal for me, and that's she'll wrap it up, right? Like for us to move on to the next point. Um, and so I, I do thank you again for being here. And we're going to roll through some stuff. But uh, just to give a little background on who I am, Matt Jones, um, I, I am the executive director of the O'Fallon family YMCA. So I've been there for about five years. I worked for the Y for about 16, almost 16 years um, as a full-time job. And so we moved here about five years ago, a little over five years ago, uh, so I could work at the O'Fallon YMCA. We were living in North Missouri um, at the time, where it's like 20 degrees colder and uh, whiter, as uh, Rich pointed out this morning. Um, and we came down here to take uh, uh, this YMCA, and there's two things I can't stand doing. And I told this to a guys group when we met before. It's two things. I can't stand looking for a car, and I can't stand looking for a church. Those are two very difficult things, very particular. I grew up uh, as, as a, uh, a welder's son. My dad was a welder for the first 15 years of my life, and then he was a pastor after that. And so we moved around like crazy. Um, for the first 15 years, for sure, every two and a half to three years, we were in a new home. So I, we just celebrated a milestone from this is the longest I've ever lived in one home. Uh, this is five years, so, uh, which is really neat and really sad at the exact same time, which I blame everything on my parents um, <laughs> for, for moving us so many different times. But... It has enabled me 
uh, to be able to meet with multiple people um, and to be able to walk into a room or a new situation and find common ground with individuals because it was, it was forced upon you, right? You got a new school and it won't, they were great to begin with. They were like, hey, moving around, you know, it's going to be hard. But after the 95th move is what it felt like. They're like, you'll be fine, okay? You'll be okay. Um, but there's one commonality that my entire family and I have always had is that we were, ne we were never out of church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we were in church. You know, I grew up in Florida, and so that was the Southern Baptist way of doing things. You were there as much as possible, and uh, deacon's meetings were on Tuesdays. Prayer was on Thursday. Like that, I can tell you the times and everything. And so it enabled me to be able to grow up not only in the church, but to be surrounded by people that I knew that, that love the Lord and that would consistently push me to a better good. So I say all that to give you just a background of a little bit of, of who I am um, and, and where and why I think this is just one of the most important lessons that we can learn. And so just say, uh, this is my prayer for you is that you would see the cross differently um, and more, with more guidance than you ever have in your life. Um, and that's not to say that this study is exhaustive, that it covers every single thing about the cross. It, it does not. This study right here covers every single thing about the cross. This has pulled some of it out, okay? And so if you say, well, that's not what I've ever learned before, that's okay. That's perfectly fine. We can talk after. I'm just kidding. I want you to talk and, and have conversation during the class about it. But we're going to hit on seven points uh, through six weeks. So by math, we've got to double up one week. So I'll find the one where I don't talk as much, and uh, we'll do two during that time. But this week we'll talk. We'll be just a little bit front heavy on the uh, the background or the theology side of it, and then toward the end we'll talk a little bit more uh, in groups and be able to pull some things out from us. But to begin with, um, this book, The Seven Sayings of the Savior on the Cross, was written by Arthur Pink in the '50s, and um, John MacArthur wrote the foreword in, in the portion of this book. Not when it first came out, but when the second release happened, and he says this. Pink was at his best whenever he wrote about Christ, and he was never more focused and more thorough or more compelling than when he proclaimed Christ crucified. And so that was what this book, that, excuse me, that's what this book is about. And so we're going to dive through a little bit of it. You won't see me pick it up too much because I've pulled a lot out of it into this, but uh, it's like 12 bucks on Amazon, I think, 13, somewhere around there you can get it. And it's a great count. The way that Arthur Pink writes is very poetic. But at the same time, it's very, very bring your dictionary with you every once in a while because it gets real, real deep. And so I was reading to begin with, I was like, Dad, what does this mean? He said, son, just get a dictionary and keep it next to you. and You'll be able to understand some of the words. Never thought that that was that important, but it really is. And so I want you to be able to know that um, the words that come out of this straight from Scripture, this isn't my account. There's a few things that when uh, commentators, when they write books, that you look at that and you go, hmm. Like we just heard in the sermon, right, just, just a little bit ago, that uh, there's some stuff that may be left out. And so some of the things that are in here, I go, wow, okay, that's going to take a little bit more discussion. So I didn't bring those up today. So just to test all of you to see how that would go. Um, we definitely don't want to do that. But there's a couple questions that I want to ask to begin with, and they look like this. So how do you view forgiveness? Do you struggle with forgiving others? Are you anxious for others to forgive? And is forgiveness ever met with hostility? So we're not going to go through each one and see if anybody has questions as it regards to that. But through this, does anything pop out for the group? Does anything pop out of this that you would say, yeah, I think that that would be true? Or an example, too. 
you're on a timer. You have 30 seconds and nobody speaks, we move on. We're done early and all of you help Jack clean coffee up afterwards. So I just want you to know that. I think all of them are true of me. Yeah. Every single one of them. Yeah. Me too. Especially, especially this is forgiveness ever met with hostility, right? Because you want people to do it. You want them to forgive you. Like, now. This needs to happen now. I need you to forgive me right now. And it gets to a point where you're like, hey, no, this isn't. And we'll talk about that just in a little bit. That some people, some people haven't. Some people don't have that ability. And so they have to ask for people to be able to do that for them. Uh, are you anxious for others to forgive? I, I, I'm married, right? So um, I need my wife to forgive me about every nine minutes. Like, it's not, it is not uncommon. I'm like, babe, I'm sorry. I really am. I really am. And I'll keep saying it. She's like, no, I heard you. It's not time for me to forgive you yet, right? I heard what you said. That's great. But these questions, again, they're not exhaustive. They don't cover every single thing. But for us to be able to take what's pulled directly out of Scripture, and we're going to start with Luke uh, 23, um, is that these are just a couple things that I'm going to pull and maybe come back to toward the end of today as well, right? So um, here's one big question. So the, the sheet that you have in front of you, the, the bolded or the highlighted sections are, are the big questions, really where we start and where we'll where we'll finish as well. But um, what that looks like right now is our big question says this, what do we learn from the word of forgiveness and how is it displayed? How was it displayed on the cross? So Luke 23, 34 says this, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and they cast, cast lots. So we'll, we'll come back to that second piece there in just a second. But we see here that Christ's response to the crowd was in an attitude of what? Hostility. Forgiveness. You said hostility? Is that what you said? You have to explain it if you... I'm just kidding. You don't have to. Well, what do you mean by hostility? Well, they were anti-Christ because they put him on that cross because of the way he was teaching the truth, and they didn't want to hear that truth. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't. They did like a day earlier, a day and a half earlier, right? Praise him for who he is. But it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily in an attitude of forgiveness as much as it was, was the action that he was doing. He was praying. Right, he was praying. So it's a perfect example of who Christ actually is. And so but there's multiple times I could jump all over this and come back and forth. I don't want to do that. Let's just stay on point. But lesson one, when you see this, we see Christ in an attitude of prayer is, that we, is how we see him. So see the instruction of Jesus. He was not healing the sick at that time, and he was not making the blind see. That's not what he actually was doing, right? He was hanging on a cross, about to be killed. So that is in, in full form, and you've seen the picture, you've seen the depiction of him as well, right? He was on a cross, arms out, feet and hands nailed. So he wasn't actually doing the work of healing other people. He was praying. And to whom was he praying? He was praying to his father. It says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for others even in his last hour is when it happened. So, Father, forgive them. His, his, excuse me, his response was prayer, and he was praying for others even in his last hour. It's very, very important for us to be able to see that and to be able to move in the direction of where, the way that Christ was moving in this as well. So we're going to roll through these because some of them take a little bit longer. But lesson two says this. He taught us how to pray for those who wrong and hate us and never to regard as any, any as beyond the reach of prayer. He taught us how to pray for those who wrong and hate us 
and never to regard any as beyond the reach of prayer. This next piece here, if Christ prayed for his murderers, surely we can pray for sinners alike. That's not the, he literally was hanging on a cross, about to be dead, about to be killed by the people who put him there, and he said, Father, forgive them. I'm not doing it. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, is what he said. He was constantly in prayer at all times. So I remember this uh, for, for the longest time. In 1997, we moved to Missouri so my dad could study at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. So we were there for about uh, nine months before he took his first church. And some of our family, it was just my brother and I and my mom and dad, some of us adapted a lot easier to moving. And so it was real easy for me. It was a little bit harder going from Florida to Missouri. I'll give you that. Especially when we moved on January 1st. It was awesome. So January 3rd, it snowed. Um, and I believe January 4th, uh, Florida beat Florida State for the national championship. So that's really how I remember that. I'm a huge Florida Gator fan. If I don't wear it, I'll probably talk about it. Um, but I, some of us adapted a lot easier. And by that, I mean three out of the four of us adapted very easily to the move. It wasn't hard. My brother did not. He struggled with it. Um, and so when he moved, I was an eighth grader, he was a sophomore, and um, quickly fell into a, a crowd of people that wanted him to uh, just belong. So we went to North Kansas City High School, you know, about 1,800 people in our graduating class, it was gigantic, um, and it was difficult for him to adapt to that. And so in about 1999, uh, 2001, 1999 when he graduated, he went to Missouri Valley College, and he fell into a life of, um, it, was, it was astonishing to me. So he fell into a life of alcohol, drugs, um, and he was in it for a very, very long time. A very long time, until about five years ago um, that he was rescued by the hand of God again. And, and now he preaches. <laughs> so uh, I still am like, dude, what in the world? He said, I'd like to explain that to you, but it's not something I can do. And my wife can tell you, he's a totally different person now. Totally different. But before, it was self-serving. It was, what can I do for me? It was, whatever I want, I'm going to get. He, he did some things that we won't discuss. He did some things that would just blow your mind that you've seen on TV and was rescued by the hand of God. And I remember talking to my grandmother when we were in Florida one time. She's 94. She can still stand up longer than I can and talk, which is shocking because I talk a lot. And that woman, that woman can talk. And I remember talking to her. I was like, Grandma, you know, I just, you know, is there any hope? And she looked, she looked at me dead in the face. And she's, don't you ever doubt the hand of God. Don't you ever doubt the hand of God. And I, you know, I think it was like 17 at the time. I was like, okay, all right, well, whatever you say. And, uh, and I was talking to my mom and dad later, and they said, the amount of people that are praying for your brother, yourself better be included, there's no way, there's no way that he does not become rescued by the hand of God. Now, that's what parents say, that's what a brother say, right? And it was about five years ago, he called me and he said, hey, I'm moving to Florida, dad's going to come get me. Um, my fiance and two children and I, and uh, we're moving back. He said, because I can't do this on my own, I can't do it anymore. And um, it was not that too long after that uh, he received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. He preaches, uh, fills pulpits from time to time. One of the last times I, I spoke in front of people, he preached for an hour and a half, um, Southern Baptist. Typically the alarms were going off telling him to stop, but he still kept going. Um, but I will tell you, the last time I was in Florida with him, 
is that we were helping a guy, he got his vehicle stuck in the mud, we were helping him pull it out, and the guy brought $20 to give it to him, and he said, no, I'm not taking that, I'm not going to do it. He said, no, you've got to take it, you've got to take it. And Mike said, listen, I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and somebody picked me out of it. I had nowhere to go. And as I was undoing the hitch, I'm like crying, because <laughs> typically he was like, give me the $20, I'll go do something with it. That was who he was. No, not anymore, he had changed completely. And so it was really, really neat for me to be able to see that. And what a lesson for us as we see Christ on a cross constantly praying for the people that hung him there. It's a lesson for you, for people that you may know, that you may feel that are out of reach and out of touch for you to consistently and constantly be in prayer for those individuals at all times. Constantly in prayer is how he was. John 17, 20 says this, he prayed for the sins of the people who will believe in me through their word, through their word, their word there, he's talking about the apostles. We just read 16 through 19, and I told Rich to stop stealing my stuff when started <laughs> preaching, and he's like, yeah, get in line, buddy, right? And so it says this right here, he prayed for the sins of who will believe in me through their word, who don't believe in me currently, they're going to. These people are going to believe in me through their word, the word of the apostles, the word of you to get out and tell other people about what this actually means and why it's important to you. Constantly in prayer at all times, because when we pray in faith, we also pray for the salvation of lost souls, which is extremely important. So when you're going through this, remember my brother. Right? I want you to. I want you to be able to use that story of an example that you've seen, that constant prayer Constant prayer works, and it's something that we're called to do at each and every time. Past, present, and future sins forgiven. Lesson three, before I jump into three, any questions before we do this? Because I do, like I told you, I don't want to talk the whole time. Marv's the only one who said anything. So, well, and I, I'll, I'll you there you go, buddy. You keep going. No, do it. Yes. This, is, this will tell you how long ago this was, but Ted Kennedy was on TV, and he was filed for some garbage. <laughs> and I was screaming at the television, and my wife came walking through the living room, and she goes, Bible says you're supposed to pray for him. <laughs> I went, oh! <laughs> yeah, no, they, they're... But that is true. It's true. The Bible says I'm supposed to pray for him. Yep. And that's kind of, that's what you reflected on. No, absolutely. With Jesus on the cross. Jesus, nobody had to tell him to do it. Yep. I, I, we're going to look at the timeline of events in just a second of, of leading up to the very first word that was said here, and, and you'll see that in your notes. But what's important to know about all the people look at the cross differently, right? They don't always pull Scripture out and use it. Look at the cross. Oh, my gosh, I've got to go to church because it's Easter Sunday. Or they put a sign in their yard that says, hey, attend our church. And those, those are great things, right? I, I believe that the Lord uses any means that he wants to bring glory to his name. And sometimes that's taken wretched people doing amazing things for his work. And so I, I believe that. I believe not. There's two things out of that, that are actually very true. One is that, yes, we are to pray for people and that women are typically correct. You know, that's, uh, I, I, I don't argue with that at all. Um, that, that's, uh, I'm trying to get points here, folks, is why I'm saying this stuff out loud about my wife. But um, Lesson three says this, that Christ would make intercession for his enemies. We're not going to dissect all of Isaiah 53, which take a little bit of time to be able to do that. But in Isaiah 53, it talks in there 
about the account of Christ hanging on the cross and the, the, the points that led up to it. So despised and rejected in verse 3. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, verse 4. Wounded and, and bruised, verse 5. That he be led to slaughter, 7. That he be dumb before shearers, in 7. Not only suffer the hands of men, but also be bruised by the Lord, that's 10. Pour out his soul into death, 12. Buried in a rich man's tomb, verse 9. Number of the transgressors, verse 12. That Christ would make intercession for his enemies is what it says in the Scripture. Isaiah 53 points out that this is going to happen eventually. And now it's come to fruition in Luke's account that we're looking at right now. And is that finally that he should make intercession for the transgressor. We see that, that Christ would do this for his enemies. We see that it's prophetic when we look at it. It was written down a long time ago. And we see it here displayed on the cross intercession, stepping in, and that he would pray for these individuals. I still find it shocking because we, we open Scripture and we read it, and we read it for just what it says, and sometimes we glance over a lot of the deep meaning inside of it, and we tend to let a lot of it go. We just read it for what it is, and, and sometimes we miss it. And it's fine to accept Scripture exactly for what it is. Please don't add anything to it. You can't do that. But we have to be able to see everything. And, I, and it took me forever to be able to see that this man hung on a cross and prayed for people that were killing him. And in the timeline that we'll see in just a second, we'll see multiple accounts, multiple accounts of how in just in general, that, that it just blows my mind that we as people, and this is me, right, having my feet washed just as well each and every day, to be able to put us in, in front of a, a Christ like this and hang him on a cross. It was clear from the beginning of time that he would pray and make intercession or step in on my behalf. It was clear. It wasn't muddy. It wasn't a maybe. It was written down. This was going to happen, and it did, and it did not too long ago. Lesson four looks at this Understand the blindness of the human heart. So, uh, and Ephesians 2 refers, refers to this blindness as, as dead, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Um, Ephesians 2 is one of the most uh, important books uh, in Scripture, chapters and books that I've ever dealt with that I use on a daily basis for remembering who it was that I was at one time. And so it's important for me to be able to pull that out and, and understand exactly what it means to be dead. So it's, it's neat because when we do a Bible study with our kids, and my wife, if she'll refer to Ephesians 2, she'll just look at me and start smiling because that's mine. Like I come back to that one. Like I have to at each and every time. Because if it were not for God, you would still be dead. If it had not been for Him, you would be dead in your trespasses and sins. And He rescued you out of that. But understanding the, the blindness of the human heart and what that actually means is that Scripture is offensive to those who don't, do not believe in God. It is. Do not touch my stuff. I hear a lot. I, I, I work for the YMCA. Does anybody know what YMCA stands for? There it is. I could see you. I tell you what, if you sing it, I'm going to give you this so it's recorded. We're either going to have a lot of people next week or nobody. So, uh, But... I, I, I work with a lot of people with varying beliefs, and, and Alex and I have had this discussion, uh, Jack and I, uh, Dave as well, we, we've had the discussions in, in, in men's groups together, um, that, that the YMCA is not as Christian as it used to be. It is not. 
don't agree with me so quickly. I'm about to give you multiple stories about uh, why, I, why I love the work that I get to do. But um, I'm in my office one day, and this young lady comes in. She's one of our employees. And she goes, I just want you to know that I'm an atheist. And I said, that's great. I didn't ask. So, but uh, I'm, I'm happy to know that you're an atheist. And, and so she said, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be anxious to, uh, to know why it is that you believe what you believe. And I said, well, I can't, I can't explain that to you because you don't believe in Scripture. You've said it yourself that you don't believe that any of this is true. She's like, well, how would you explain it outside of Scripture? I said, I don't need to. It's already written down. Why do I need to explain it any other way? Well, I don't believe it. I said, well, the Bible doesn't stand true whether you believe it or it, it, it doesn't need you to believe it to be true. And so she started getting a little angry. And I enjoy these conversations, by the way. Like, I look forward to them. Now, I do not know everything about the Bible. I don't. But I know when to stop talking when it comes to people when they're met with hostility. And so she kept going. She kept going. She goes, I have 20... 26 or 27 different examples of how I believe the Bible's wrong. I was like, okay, well, go ahead. You can start. And she said, but you're going to refute those with things in the Bible that, you, that would go against what I'd say. I was like, yes, I am. They're not going to be accounts of my own. They'll be accounts from Scripture because your atheist view, your view is that you don't believe in a higher power at all. And I said, and that's a scary place to be. It really is. And I said, so let me just ask you a question. You know, do, do you hope that you're wrong? And she's like, I don't know what you mean. I was like, well, you don't believe in there is a God. You don't believe in there being a higher power. Do you hope that you're wrong? And she stopped and she just said, yeah, I, I kind of hope that I would be. And I was like, okay, well, that's step one. And that's the very first place that you need to be. The heart is blind because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't born good. You know, I hate to break this to you. If you ever had children, you know for a fact children were not born good. They weren't. You were not as well. You had to learn what it meant to follow Christ. It didn't just pop up. It didn't. You had to learn it. And so be careful when you approach somebody who doesn't believe exactly what you believe for you to just immediately start firing as hard as you can. Understand where people are at. Understand that they may not see it. Do not ever back down from what it is that you believe. Ever. It's not a case of you're going to offend somebody, because you will. It's going to happen. You're going to offend people. You, you truly are, because the Bible is offensive. So look at this right here. The emphasis of this verse, forgive them for they know not what they do. Understand where the emphasis is at on this verse. It's not for they, they, for they know not, right? It's not that they didn't know what they were doing. They knew full well what was going on. These are the same people that put him on this cross and that were yelling for somebody else to be rescued out of prison. The same people that were doing that were the people that were praising him not too early, not, not too uh, yesterday. Let's just say that. It wasn't too long ago that this was happening. So it was that they didn't know what fully that they were doing. Or they didn't really, how we say here, that they didn't um, understand the enormity of their crime. They didn't see fully exactly what was going on. You do have to understand. Now, in this particular case, because these, a lot of these can be different, right? In this particular case, you, you want to be there and you want to shake the people that are doing what they're doing and putting him on a cross. But you have to remember, not only was it their sin that put him there, but it was yours as well. It was sin that hung him on a cross. The Father gave him to us to be able to be to rescue his people and put him there. 
They knew the work that was going on. They knew every single bit of it, and yet they continued, continued to keep him up there. So uh, it, you see the Passion of the Christ, uh, uh, Mel Gibson's account of, um, of the crucifixion. And uh, it was extremely moving for me uh, to be able to see that. And I'm um, sitting in a, an Old Testament class at Hannibal Grange College, and um, this, uh, a guy walked in. I'm going to be honest with you. It was difficult to talk with this gentleman a lot. It was really, really hard. And I'll tell you why. Because he was always happy. He was always happy. And so it, it was difficult for me because I was like, what is going on with this guy? Like this dude always was a cheerful individual. Um, and so all of you are going, wow, your house must really be horrid if that's what you're thinking of other individuals. And, and I'll say that because he sat down next to us one time and he, his face was not, he was not a happy individual. It was not. And I was like, Martin, what's wrong with you? And he's like, I just watched The Passion of the Christ. He said, buddy, that changed my view fully of what this world actually is. It truly is. And it wasn't the first time that he had seen it. He actually bought the movie. Um, and that's a difficult movie to purchase because I saw it one time and I have not seen it again. I do not want to. I was talking to Lisa. I think it, was, it was last Easter somewhere in there. We talked more than that. It wasn't a year ago that we were speaking. But... Um, <laughs> And I said, you know, it would be great if we showed the kids that movie. But I don't know that I would be able to make it through again and then be able to talk with them after because of what happened on that cross. Difficult, difficult to be able to sit through again and experience from a visual standpoint what he experienced that was physical. So it's very difficult to be able to see that. So remember... Remember this, the lesson that you see on this, the screen here, the blindness of the human heart. And go back to Ephesians 2, where it talks about that people were dead in their trespasses and sins. As he's talking to the church at Ephesus during that time, he's like, you, I'm talking to you, the church. People, you were dead. You were not perfect from the beginning. Understand that. Dig yourself out of from where you are currently and come back to Christ. You were dead at one point, and if it weren't for him, you'd still be there. What I'm asking you to do today is to account, to think of that when you're talking with other people because it's going to be difficult for them. It really is. And especially during this time, right? Like, it, you know, there's, Alex, what's the most attended days of church throughout the, Easter is typically one of the most, right? Christmas or the Thanksgiving time during those times. And so it's, it's new for a lot of people to be able to see this, to be able to step into a church and see all the miraculous things that are going on. It really is. It's common for you because you may have grown up in it or may, this may be something that you've uh, been attending for the last year. This may be new to you as well. But understand that people are different and that their heart is still blind and still away from Christ. And so it's your job not to save them, but to preach the gospel at all times. And the gospel is what hung on the tree. It's, it's, it's the account that you didn't have to do. It's the substitutionary piece that we get to talk about each and every day that you did not, did not emphasize that, did not have to do at any time. My mouth is completely dry. What do you see here that you want to pull out? Because I've, I've got a couple spots where we're going to stop. But understanding the blindness of the human heart, where do you see this? Examples of where you've talked with people, where you've been met with a little bit of hostility, been able to turn it to the good. Or anything on that. Slide. I think one. I think one thing that stands out as you're talking is that um, 
forgiveness, just as a broad topic, is one of those things that the world can't fake. Like as you're talking to people, and as I've seen like my own life go through that sanctified journey and all that sanctifying journey and all that, I feel like this is one of those areas where he, where the Lord really works yeah. on, on me and how I view people, especially people who I view as doing me wrong. Yeah. No, that's great. One day people are going to write songs about you. I want you to know that. So, <clears throat> I know. <laughs> Jay, that's a great point. I, uh, and so with our Iron Man group, I talked about this, uh, I don't know, about six months ago. I talked about starting a prayer group at the YMCA. It's crazy that you have to start a prayer group at the YMCA. Um, but we, we had a church meeting at our Y in the mornings uh, on uh, Sunday mornings. Um, City Light Baptist Church just on Highway K. They couldn't no longer afford their building, and another church came to them, and they said, hey, we'll give you $4 million for your building. And so the uh, pastor said, all right, that's fine. We'll just meet at the Y. I know Matt would take us. And so I asked him, I said, hey, how do you, how do you get with people that, that don't really understand prayer? And he's like, you talking about Christian people? Are you talking about Christian people, or are you talking about people that are negligent to understand the Word of God? And I said, yes. I, I, I think that I am. I said, because what I'm trying to do is I want to start a prayer group uh, in the YMCA as a staff resource, right? That if you need prayer, there's a group of us that are going to pray at 10 a.m. on Thursdays. Virtually, we get together, and uh, we just, whatever's on the screen here, we just go through and we pray for. And he's like, yeah, that's great. He's like, you have to start that? You don't have that already? And I was like, Rich, stop, man. Like, quit. Like, I understand. Completely understand that. And so I, I had to make a presentation. Let me tell you what, this is, this is making me sweat. I had to make a presentation about a prayer group to the diversity and inclusion uh, portion of our organization. And so, like I said, I enjoy these conversations. And so I called my dad. I was like, Dad, i got to make a presentation to the uh, DEI group. And he's like, I don't know what that is, son. <laughs> and I, I said, it's the diversity, equity, and inclusion group at the Y. And he's like, I, yeah, I don't know what that means. He lives, <laughs> he lives in a town of 87 people, I think, on, uh, on Easter, and, um, and preaches a church that has about 65 uh, members and you know about 80 attend, somewhere in there. And, uh, and so he's like, I don't understand. I don't, right, what are you asking of me? And I was like, I need to know how to approach this uh, when I get in front of this, this group. And he said, son, they're, they're, they're blind. They, they don't fully understand exactly what it is that you're doing. So telling them, telling them that you're going to start a prayer group should be sufficient. Like they should be able to see that and say, hey, this is great. I've never been met with more hostility like in my life of like, I, we need to ask you questions about the prayer group. No, you don't. Like we're going to pray on Thursdays is what we're going to do for individuals. And they're like, well, we don't feel that it's inclusive enough. And I said, I don't know where to go from there. Like, I truly don't understand what you mean when you say that it's not inclusive enough. I said, because what we're doing is whoever submits it, we're going to pray for it. There's no, um, well, we're going to take that out because he or she said this. That's not, we're not in that world. 
And so, um, so it was passed, shockingly, it was passed, and, um, and it's been a great resource. So me and, uh, and two other guys meet consistently every Thursday, and we have a list of, of requests that we go through. Um, uh, Josh Pierce, who's the director at the Wildwood Family YMCA, good Christian man, good friend of mine, known him for a long time. And then Tom Verhayen, who's the, the director at the River Chase YMCA in Fenton, good Christian man. And so we get together and we're praying, and um, some things come up. It's just a lot of things come up. People ask prayer. You, you would not believe some of the stuff that they would ask prayer for. Um, and so I said, guys, it's about time we get back in person. Let's get back in person so we can have this group and, you know, not, uh, not be every Thursday where we have to be virtually. And, and so I sent out a broadcast message to 1,839 email uh, addresses with the Gateway Region YMCA. And... Um, it was not three minutes later that I got a, an email back from an individual that said, I don't want anything to do with religion uh, that doesn't align with anything that I believe. Um, please take me off of this list. There were quite a few things. And I almost did my normal Matt Jones thing and send a reply that would have just made a career limiting move, I'm sure, with my response to that. But I was just talking to Josh uh, before this at, at Wildwood, and uh, I said, you know, when I send this out, I'm probably going to get some people that write back that don't necessarily agree with what we're doing. And he said, well, how are you going to approach that when it happens? And I said, well, we can go one of two ways. He said, go with the second. I can tell you the first one's not going to be good for you, not at all. And so I remembered before I typed the email, I said that, that people are blind to this. And so it will be met with hostility, and if we're not careful, about how we approach it. Not careful about what you believe. Believe sternly in what you believe and what scripture pulls out and shows you. But be careful when you're talking to other individuals because I, I believe that there is a time to stand on the rooftop and start shouting. And my wife will tell you that's when you start messing with my children. I believe that there is a time when you are supposed to do that. I do believe that there is. But I also believe that I need people to remember the conversation that we had and not regret it. And so I wrote back and I said, no, I completely understand. I am sorry that, uh, that I sent it to you. There's no way for me to take you out of that message. Um, and, and had a decent conversation after that. I did have to have three more conversations about how I shouldn't be sending out mass emails. I didn't know that was a thing. And uh, finally figured that out. But as we see in our next lesson, that man's great and primary need that you see here is that you're separated from Christ. And then that blindness of the heart separates you completely. And so what do we see next in our need is that we're sinners unfit for the presence of a holy God, number one, and it separates us completely from who that he is. And so as Christ is hanging on a cross, now let me just break down this just a little bit more. So there's seven sayings that we account. As Christ hung on the cross, there's seven things. Underneath each of those seven sayings are seven subchapters in this book. And so pink goes off like crazy and just starts drilling down just shockingly further than I've ever seen in my life. And so uh, Rich uh, referenced, um, who was it that he referenced this morning that uh, 300 uh, pages was, who was it? Jones? Uh, Jones. I, I forgot Jones. That's shocking. But uh, uh, I didn't write it. At least it takes much better notes than I do. So I, I didn't write that down. But um, that Jonathan Edwards would look at a passage of Scripture and he would say that I see countless sermons that are in here, countless opportunities to be able to reach people for Christ, 
countless times to be able to stand in front of individuals and proclaim the name of Christ. And so what Pink has done is taken seven that he sees here and he pulls them out. And I've used a couple of those that are in here just to be able to, to talk about it today. But one of those is the sinners that were sinners unfit for the presence of a holy God. And then how is forgiveness obtained? So we're going to actually look at these in Luke 24 and Acts 13. So if I can get a couple people to turn one to Luke 24 and then the other to Acts 13. And then whenever you get to 24, and that's 46 and 47, let's go ahead and read that. Anyone, regardless of whether you think you speak well or not, go ahead. And, okay, go ahead, Dave. 46 and 47. Repentance and remission, or forgiveness of sins, should be preached in His name. Right here. And then who's got Acts 13, 38, and 39? Go ahead. Those that believe are justified from all things, right, that we see in that piece. And Luke 24 says repentance and remission, or forgiveness of sins, should be preached in his name. And we see this as he hung there in the second part that, that uh, Caleb read, is that this man has preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. He, he was the actual forgiveness, hanging on a cross. Not that he only just speak it. Those that believe in my name eventually will become part of it. We'll see in just a couple weeks as we talk about the word of salvation and talking about the two thieves that were on the cross, justice and mercy, all in like seven different sentences that are laid right on the cross at the exact same time. But in this piece of it, this man has preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and those that believe are justified from all things. So what he did is he didn't just display forgiveness. He literally struck down to the actual need of each and every single person that was there. And there's the root of their need. And then you see in Colossians 1.14, somebody turn there real quick. I should have had you do this real fast. If you get there before me, read it. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I guess it started in 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have the redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, as the King James wrote it. Pink always read out of the King James, which sometimes you have to have a thesaurus to be able to use it. But in this particular case, Colossians 1.14 looks at us and says, we have the redemption through what? His blood. His blood had to be poured out in order for it to happen. My mom and dad used to, uh, uh, they worked for... It'll happen in just a second. Child Evangelism Fellowship, uh, CEF. And so they would do, uh, my wife hates it when I reference this, mainly the reason I'm doing it currently, um, is that uh, the flannel graph, right? They had this gigantic part. <laughs> I love it. Some of you are like, okay, let's start preaching. And so what we had is they, they it, was, it was flannel is what it was. And so um, the, my dad would do the account of the tabernacle on there. And so I remember vividly pictures of what that actually looked like. Some of you are like, I've never heard of a flannel graph. We grew up in Missouri. What is that? It's a board with flannel on it, and you stick stuff on it is what it is. And then you took it off, you'd flip it over, and you'd go to the next page or whatever it may be, and you would, you would account it. And so my dad would give the example of the tabernacle. 
And we talk about the lamb that had to be brought or the animal that would have to be brought and taught into and sacrificed on that day. And that lamb needed to be without spot, needed to be the, the most perfect lamb that you had is what it needed to be. And it didn't matter how clean or how white, it was still a picture. And the lamb that you see that hung on the cross was perfect, having no sin, zero, not a single piece of it. But blood was shed for his people. And so I remember uh, I was sitting in the, the same professor's class, the Old Testament class, and we talked about uh, the Holy of Holies and, and the, the priest, uh, the high priest walking into the Holy of Holies and, and sprinkling that, that blood. And, and, and if one bad thought were to enter his mind, that he would be struck down immediately. And just imagine the gravity of that job. And, and it was a symbol for us to be able to look back and see that now and, and, and thank God that it is not something that, that has to happen this day. Because um, through study, they wore a bell on their hip. And if that bell stopped ringing, they were dead. And so that bad thought or whatever may have entered their mind, they would wear a rope around their hip and they would pull them out. And so very, very difficult account. But through the shedding of blood is the picture that we've seen is the, the, the physical picture of what has happened at one time. And then here in Colossians 1.14 that says, In Him we have the redemption through His blood. Not a lamb's blood. The lamb. The lamb that was given to us. The forgiveness of sins. And so here we have... Okay, here's the timeline. So this is the piece that I wanted to spend at least 45 minutes on. And I talked, so I told you this wasn't going to go well. I also, um, the last time I spoke, I gave Alex my notes. He's like, yeah, you're not going to get to all that. That's never going to happen. Uh, he's really good at knocking you down. I want you to know that. I'm just joking. I'm just, he knows that I'm joking. I've, I have appreciated the insight from this man, and I say that not because you're here, but you have helped us so much to be able to walk through these classes. So thank you. But... Let's look at the triumph of redeeming love. I didn't do the whole click through this because I would forget some. But look at loved, praised, judged, found no fault, judged again, no fault, judged and not set free, yet took the place of Barabbas, beaten, hung on a cross, and then, then he says, so all of this happened to him. Like everything that, that you, can, you can imagine, you remember the story of the cat of nine tails, right? That ripped the skin off of our Savior's back. Right, It was glass and rocks tied to the end of a rope on the end of a stick and just swung and hit Christ over and over and over again, which should have killed him there, but he still had a job to do. That job was to walk up a hill, and his time was not called yet to die. Not yet. I don't get it. No man, no man can fully fathom and understand how in the world that this actually happened. He should have been dead before that. <laughs> But he shouldn't have been at the exact same time because Scripture was not fulfilled at that time. But he, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what it is that they're doing. They know not the enormity of the crime that they're actually committing. And so he got beaten again, hung on a cross, but he says, Father, forgive them. He prayed first for his foes and last for himself. First for his foes. He didn't say... And how many of you are guilty of this? Because I would say this as well. I know that there's a couple times when I walked back into my office when I knew that I was going to be met with that atheist that I said this. I said this. I prayed this in my truck before I walked in. Father, give me the strength to have a conversation with her. Instead of saying, Father, open her eyes. Open her eyes. Forget about what, how I feel. 
None of this means anything about my and how I feel about this entire thing. He prays first for his foes, first for his foes, and then for himself later on, as we'll see in just a, a few chapters later. First, here's your timeline of a Savior that, according to Scripture, was sent here for us to be able to be the Redeemer, to be able to make a way for you to be able to go home, to be called by Christ, to be able to step foot with Him one day, hung on a cross. After all of that happened, He said, Father, forgive them. I still can, cannot fathom, and I still I, I can't understand other than that Scripture needed to be fulfilled, and the Father was not pleased yet. And we'll see in a little bit. One of the most difficult ones to go through is the word of anguish that we'll discuss in just a couple weeks. That one, um, if you don't have the book, uh, I would encourage you to buy it. It's a great read. It's an easy read. It's a a two-day read. For some of you, it's like 40 minutes probably, but for me, it's two days. And it just really pulls out all the words that are said on the cross and helps you understand in a different picture, hopefully, than you ever have before, what those words mean and the gravity of this situation. And then this lesson right here, this piece that we look at, that all of this was done, and then he prayed for people. He prayed. And so when we ask that question, you met with hostility, and, and where do we go next here on this piece of it, those questions that are, this is where we're going to get together in groups. But what is your response to a Savior who was and is the perfect example of forgiveness? You go to lesson two. What does this do to your diligence in praying for the lost? Lesson six, how do you, how, after seeing lesson six, how do you know and pray for the lost? And then just a general statement. This is, this is exactly here what Pink says. Do not waver in your prayer asking for the salvation of souls. It is not up to you who receives the Father, but it is up to you to reflect Him and pray constantly. Because there's a lot of times I know in your own life is that forgiveness for you looks different than what actually Scripture says forgiveness is. I want forgiveness to happen so that I can move on. And so that I just need to feel better about myself so I can forgive that person or that person can forgive me. And then we'll never think about it again. That's not a true story. You will. And so a lot of this is met with self-serving and how do we, how do we go on from here? How do we move on from here? Well, scripture says it was one and done. When I forgave it, I forgave past, present, and future. There were no gaps in here. There's nothing missing. And like Brother Rich said just a little bit ago, don't, don't use this, right? The future's coming. God will forgive me. I'll just do whatever I want. No, that's not what this is. The cross was sufficient. It was sufficient enough to be able to forgive it. But you also have a human responsibility, not only to talk with other people about what it is that you believe, but respond to Christ when he calls you. So what I want to do for, we got like 10 minutes, uh, 15 minutes. Um, I don't know, Rich went a little long today. You're going to have to talk with him about that. So we probably have about 20 minutes left in here. But I do want to get in groups and to be able to talk about, the, and these, again, these are not exhaustive, right? This doesn't cover everything. Um, but in groups of four to five and maybe, I don't know, seven to 10, probably a little bit better for a number. But everybody have a chance to, to talk about these questions or some questions that we went over early, earlier. Um, and the account of forgiveness, and then like Jay mentioned, and, and what we see actual true forgiveness and, and Christ's account of that. But let's do that. Let's take a little bit of time and, and encourage you to get with people that you don't know. You don't have to. This is not mandatory. But uh, to get into groups and, and talk and just discuss for a little bit. And I want to come around and, and hear what, what everybody's saying. And then I want to get back together briefly 
and give you a small snippet of the word of salvation before we move to next week. So we'll take like 10 minutes, uh, 12 minutes, somewhere in there, and then we'll come back together. Okay, everybody, we got about six minutes left to end on time. Does anybody want to uh, discuss what it was that you were discussing or bring up anything? Any guys? What are you guys newly? You guys newlyweds or something? <laughs> what you do, you do together. That's good. That's uh, that's good. Oh, uh, in uncomfortable situations, you just find somebody to make fun of and uh, and you laugh, right? Like that's that's what you do. Um, we, we take time when we look at this. We come back and we reflect together on what it was that we discussed. So we don't want it to come in and go out. Right? Like, uh, if it does, it needs to come out of your mouth. You need to be talking with other people about what forgiveness actually means, how forgiveness was displayed to you, and how it constant, constantly shows up in your life. Next week, we start on the Word of Salvation that you see here. And um, really looking forward to it as we, we study the two thieves that were, that were with Christ um, at that time and some of the utterances that came from them and how quickly justice and mercy are displayed. Um, from Christ, the only one that can show both of those at the exact same time. Uh, I have this up here. Uh, this is to join the class, this piece. And then this one is vitally important. The bottom one that's right here is to uh, sign up for snacks. So, uh, Alex, thanks for doing that. We'll leave that right here. You can come by and do that. Or we'll put it over here on the end. I want to tell you a quick three-minute story of a friend of mine. He is the uh, he's a pastor at Maryville Baptist Church in Collinsville, Illinois. This was the church years ago where the pastor was shot... Um, and murdered on, on, the, on the pulpit. And uh, he, he was the former uh, vice president at Hannibal Grange College. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Tom Hufty, a good friend of mine and my family's for quite some time. But um, he, during that, or after that time, he was the interim there for a little bit. They, he would go over there and he would preach constantly. And, um, and he was, they asked him to come and be the pastor and he told him no seven times. And then on the eighth time, uh, he's now the preacher there. So they have about 800 people per service and there's three services a day and one on Saturday night. But Dr. Hufty's job is to just preach. And he does a podcast with some people in the community and they talk about different things of the, about scripture and, uh, and how other people in the community may be negligent to it, but how do we display that? So it's, it's evangelism is what he does. But he told this story one time of his son and I, Zach, are, are pretty good friends, and they would go every year to Europe for EuroVenture. And what that was was the, uh, was the largest church camp for um, missionary kids and preacher's kids overseas. It was the largest Baptist youth camp. And so it was with the EBC, the European Baptist Convention. And so I went two years and had a great, great time, great experience. And Switzerland is where we were most of the time. But Dr. Hufty was telling us this story. He said that when Zach was real young, he would leave Zach and uh, Mackenzie with his, with his dad. And he would, he would leave, and when they would leave, him and Rhonda would leave to go to the airport every time. 
They would pull out of their long driveway, it was about a quarter mile long, and he said that Zach's like, Dad, don't go, don't go, I don't want you to go, I just stay here with us. And he's like, no, no, I got to go, I got to do this. And they did all their tears and, and all those things, got in the vehicle, and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll honk three times, I love you. <laughs> Every single time as I pull away from the house so that you know that Dad loves you, you know that. And he said, I would do it, and I would honk, 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 and eventually the, the honking would go away, right? And he said, no, you're not going to be able to hear it, but just know that Dad loves you. And he said that at the end of that driveway, or when he could no longer hear it, he said, I recounted back to the cross, and there was a father who did that for me. And he said, and me putting myself in that place, I don't know that I could do it. It had to be a substitute for me. I know that it had to be somebody else who was able to be there, who endured it, who sweat blood a day before it. It had to be somebody else who stepped in for it to be sufficient and clear and to tell other people about it. It had to be somebody else. It couldn't have been me. And you would not have chose to do it. You would not. So as he said, as I pulled away, I love you. He looked at Rhonda and every time and she said, I know, I know. And that's how he would open at Euroventure. I left my kids at home to be here with you. And he said, I want to tell you a story about forgiveness and how important that is. It's 21 years going, and he starts it every single time the exact same way. His son's a pastor in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Daughter works for Oklahoma Baptist University. But he still tells a story of forgiveness each and every day. So that's my prayer for you is that you would hear it. And that not only would you hear it today, but you would go out and you would tell other people at the exact same time. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this day and for each and every person that's here with us. And we pray and we thank you so much for not only the words that were uttered, but what was happening on that cross and how brutal it was. And for us to be able to see only a picture of that and to only hear the words, Father, we say that is enough to know that you are the God who rescued us, who sent your Son to die on the cross for us. And I pray as in the weeks that we lead up to the, to the Sunday that we celebrate as Resurrection Sunday, that you would open our eyes to the many things that you have displayed on that cross. And number one being forgiveness. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for this church, what it means to the people that are here. And hopefully as we dive into our community and tell other people about your name. We thank you for your love and the way that you show it in your name that we pray. Amen. 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 All right. I'll see you next.